I'm David Feldman, and this is The Mop-Up. A Manhattan judge told a visibly furious Donald Trump during a hearing on Tuesday that the Manhattan District Attorney's case against Trump will go to trial in March of next year. Trump attended the hearing via Zoom, and he glared at the judge, shook his fists. He showed rage that the hush money case has gone this far. The trial next year, March of next year, comes just weeks after Super Tuesday. And Judge Juan Merchant advised Donald Trump to cancel all his appointments during the trial, as Trump will be expected to show up for it in the middle of his campaign. Maybe he'll have it sealed by then. He's, I'll go over the polls later. He's doing really well. He may, after Super Tuesday, he may have clinched it, so the trial will just be a respite for him. If you remember, Trump was indicted earlier this year on charges of falsifying records and violating campaign finance laws when, during the waning days of the 2016 presidential campaign, he paid porn star Stormy Daniels to remain silent about their affair. Republican Carrie Lake, who lost her 2020 bid for governor of Arizona, has been challenging her election defeat in the courts. Well, she said on Tuesday that she will appeal a judge's ruling. The ruling was on Tuesday in which he threw out her case, a case in which she charges the largest county in Arizona, Maricopa, failed to thoroughly vet 300 signatures on mail-in ballots. Republicans hate mail-in ballots. Lake, before the election was even over last year, was already charging election fraud. Since she lost, she has raised millions, claiming she is the rightfully elected governor of Arizona. She's been making several trips to Mar-a-Lago, getting advice from Donald Trump and his, you want to call them people? I guess Donald Trump's people. I guess they're sort of people. When CNN's new chairman, Chris Licht, boy wonder, Chris Licht, genius, Chris Licht. When CNN's new wonder kid, Chris Licht, booked Donald Trump for a town hall this month, a lot of people said he was doing it for the ratings and he succeeded. He got the ratings he wanted. He got fantastic ratings having Donald Trump on that town hall. Of course, they didn't run any advertising, so they didn't make any money because he's a schmuck. Most people in charge, especially in television, are just schmucks. Well, the viewers aren't sticking around, right? Chris Lick, CNN, sold, sold their soul literally to the devil, and... The viewers aren't sticking around. CNN now has the lowest ratings since June of 2015. That's according to the Daily Beast. By all measures, Chris Licht is a failure. By all measures, he, he spent the past year firing everybody, cutting costs. Even though CNN, when he inherited it, it's still profitable. He's just an unoriginal mind who thinks he can make money for CNN by cutting costs instead of actually making quality programming. Like I said, a worthless schmuck. Chris Licht is an abject failure 
He's bringing Republicans on the channel to lie, including Trump. And now abject failure, Chris Licht now has an average of 429,000 daily viewers. That's down double digits over last year or under last year. MSNBC has more than double that. Chris Licht, abject failure, unoriginal schmuck. His idea, fire people. Rotten hell, Chris Licht. Harlan Crow, the billionaire friend of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, told the Senate Judiciary Committee that's looking into the millions of dollars in hospitalities that Harlan Crow gave to Ginny and Clarence Thomas. Harlan Crow, the billionaire, said, no, I'm not going to comply with your subpoena because I'm Harlan Crow. I'm not going to testify, nor am I going to turn over the records of gifts and travel that I provided to Clarence and Ginny Thomas over the years because you're just the Senate Judiciary Committee and I'm billionaire Harlan Crow. Crow's lawyer, in turning down the invitation, like treating a subpoena like it's the codfish ball. I, I can't make it this year. Crow's lawyer said the Senate Judiciary Committee lacks the constitutional authority to impose ethics rules and standards on the Supreme Court. I don't think this specific subpoena is about establishing or imposing ethics rules. I think it's just bribery. I think they're just looking into bribery. Uh, sounds like Dick Durbin, chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, needs to go before the Supreme Court. So Harlan Crow will obey the subpoena. And I wonder how the Supreme Court <laughs> will rule. Hmm. A billionaire, Harlan Crow, gives millions of dollars in hospitalities to Ginny and Clarence Thomas. And then the billionaire's lawyer says, nah, the Judiciary Committee lacks the constitutional authority to perform one of its core duties, oversight. Oversight for everybody but billionaires and the Supreme Court. It's incredible. This month, Chief Justice John Roberts also refused to testify before the Judiciary Committee, saying he didn't want to discuss ethics. Well, I guess with Judge Roberts, there's nothing to discuss. No ethics to discuss. I think his wife is a, uh, a headhunter who's made something like $12 million in the past five years. Yet when it comes to ethics with John Roberts, the Chief Justice, there's nothing to discuss. Thanks to Joe Biden's executive order, the Environmental Protection Agency, back in December of last year, issued new rules regarding the manufacturing of automobiles and trucks to reduce air pollution and greenhouse gases, because I don't know if you heard, but the planet only has five years left. Well, on Tuesday, our Republican-controlled House of Representatives voted 221 to 203 to overturn the EPA's ruling. Here's where it gets even worse. The democratically-controlled Senate, you know, Chuck Schumer, Senate Majority Leader, the democratically-controlled Senate also voted to overturn the EPA ruling 
by a vote of 50 to 49, with Democrat Joe Manchin, who receives more money from the fossil fuel industry than any other politician in Washington, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, joining Republicans to rescind the EPA rule that would cut down on auto exhaust and save the planet and prevent, what, cancer and Alzheimer's disease and all the illnesses that come from the internal combustion engine. Both the House and the Senate overturned the EPA ruling. Luckily, President Biden says he will veto the bill, and that veto requires a two-thirds majority in both chambers of the House and Senate to overrule him. So those votes are not, not there. The EPA ruling is safe. Look, I voted for Bernie. This is what Biden is up against. This was an executive order. I always say, use your pen to save the planet. Joe Biden used his pen and Joe Manchin and uh, some Democrats in the House tried to screw our president. Yes, Henry Cuellar. We talked a lot about Henry Cuellar last year, about sending him packing and uh, replacing him with, uh, uh, what was her name? Uh, Jessica Cisneros. We wanted Jessica Cisneros to win the primary last year. Well, House Democrats, Henry Cuellar from Texas and Jared Golden of Maine. I had that prick, Jared Golden of Maine, on my show, unfortunately. POS, Democrat. He voted, along with Henry Cuellar, to overturn the EPA ruling. The planet has five years left, and these Democrats are voting to overturn Joe Biden's executive orders. Uh, Cuellar, by the way, Henry Cuellar, is also pro-life. He's against abortion, and he's a Democrat. And he just narrowly defeated Jessica Cisneros, I think it was by a couple hundred votes, in last year's Democratic primary. He narrowly defeated her all because Nancy Pelosi threw her support behind Henry Cuellar and not Jessica Cisneros. So if you want to understand why abortion is not enshrined into law, why we have to depend on the courts, Henry Cuellar is a Democrat who is pro-life, and Nancy Pelosi supported him last year over Jessica Cisneros. If you want to know why this planet has five years left, you have this POS, Henry Cuellar, voting to rescind EPA rules that would cut down on the greenhouse gases. Henry, uh, Henry Cuellar, bad guy, Nancy Pelosi, full-throated endorsement of Henry Cuellar last year. Okay. Joe Biden's Justice Department told a federal judge, this is going to get a little, give me five minutes here, it's 14th Amendment stuff. So it's going to be, I'm going to try to explain it as best I can. Stick with me, it's going to be three or four minutes. 
Joe Biden's Justice Department told a federal judge on Tuesday it isn't sure whether or not the 14th Amendment gives a president the power to protect the full faith and credit of the United States, even though that's specifically what the 14th Amendment says. It gives the president a constitutional right to protect our credit from insurrectionists. Now, a case is making its way through the federal courts. It was filed by the National Association of Government Employees. The case says the debt ceiling is unconstitutional because of the 14th Amendment, and the National Association of Government Employees want a judge to enjoin the president to invoke the 14th Amendment to guarantee that millions of people who work for the federal government get their paychecks after June 1st when the government is expected to run out of cash if Republicans won't agree to raising the debt ceiling. This case is being argued as we speak. It's about the 14th Amendment and whether or not Joe Biden has the constitutional power to invoke it. The 14th Amendment was written specifically to give the president this power. In Boston, the presiding judge, U.S. District Court Judge Richard Stearns, on Tuesday, said he would begin hearing the case on May 31st. We run out of cash, Judge, on June 1st. You might want to expedite it, but no. Well, when they asked him why he didn't want to expedite it, he said if it was this much of an emergency, Joe Biden would invoke the 14th Amendment already. That's pretty much what the judge said, which I thought was kind of interesting. Well, Judge Richard Stearns in Boston on Tuesday specifically asked Joe Biden's Justice Department whether or not the attorney general believed Joe Biden was well within his 14th Amendment rights to ignore the debt ceiling and prevent a cataclysmic economic event. The lawyer for the Justice Department, his name is Alexander Eli, he told the judge that the Justice Department doesn't have a clear position yet on the matter. Gee, June 1st is, we got plenty of time. Why rush it? Justice Department hasn't made up its mind yet as to whether or not the 14th Amendment gives the president the power to uh, protect our, uh, our credit. The lawyer for the Justice Department argued against the lawsuit. He says it wasn't the proper forum to force the issue, the 14th Amendment issue. He said this isn't the proper forum. Judge Stearns responded that it was clear to him the Biden Justice Department was refusing to make clear whether or not the 14th Amendment could be used as a remedy for the budget ceiling, the debt ceiling standoff. So what's going on? I have no idea. Negotiations between Joe Biden and Speaker Kevin McCarthy continued. And it's starting to look a lot like the Camp David talks back in 2000, with Kevin McCarthy playing the part of PLO leader Yasser Arafat, 
who, right when they were on the brink of some kind of two-state solution, uh, Yasser Arafat, the head of the Palestinians, told Bill Clinton and Ehud Barak and the Israelis, you know, I want to make this deal, but if I bring it back to Palestine, my people will kill me. That's what Yasser Arafat said at Camp David in 2000. I'd like to sign this deal and get a two-state solution, but my people will kill me. And I, I have a feeling that's what's going on with Kevin McCarthy right now. I think he's saying to Joe Biden, I'll, I'll sign this deal, but they'll kill me. You, you know, it took 15 rounds of voting for Kevin McCarthy to finally get elected speaker. Remember that? And many members of his congressional caucus, well, they should not be allowed to serve in Congress. Also, thanks to the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment is almost like the second act of our Constitution. It was written after the Civil War. A lot of clauses in the, in the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment, which besides protecting the United States government's creditworthiness, the 14th Amendment also forbids anyone who tried to overthrow the government from serving in Congress. You know, they were a little uh, gun-shy after the Civil War. So if we were truly a nation of laws, which we're not, unless you're poor or a person of color, if we were truly a nation of laws, which we're not, most of the Republicans serving in the House right now would be disqualified, either for turning a blind eye to January 6th, which was an insurrection. They'd be disqualified for supporting January 6th before it happened. And most importantly, aiding and abetting the people who participated in January 6th, aiding and abetting them after January 6th by failing to punish the participants like Donald Trump and several Congress people who demanded pardons that they never received from Donald Trump because they were helping out on the insurrection. This is all 14th Amendment stuff. Kevin McCarthy, we forget, but Kevin McCarthy, the speaker, was one of 147 Republicans who voted against certifying the 2020 election for Joe Biden. And that was only hours after January 6th, after January 6th, after Kevin McCarthy feared for his life. He uh, joined 146 other Republicans to vote against certifying the 2020 election for Joe Biden. That disqualifies him. According to the 14th Amendment, that disqualifies Kevin McCarthy from serving in the House. Now, I don't know that much. I, I doubt Kevin McCarthy wants anything other than power. I think he just likes the power. I don't think he's an ideologue. I think he's in the Kevin McCarthy business. But there are members of his caucus who came to Washington, D.C. to destroy Washington, D.C. because they hate the federal government and they believe it is their patriotic duty to destroy the federal government by any means necessary. If the federal government runs out of cash on June 1st, great. That's great. All the Republicans who hate government spending, 
they're going to be thrilled. They're not scared. They're scared. They're scared that they'll, the debt ceiling will be raised and people will be paid. They're not terrified of a default. Now, Joe Biden, who I voted for, I wanted Bernie. I'm not a fan of Joe Biden's, okay? But he's been around. And I have to believe he deserves some credit. I, I have to believe that otherwise I move to Portugal, which, by the way, is a distinct possibility. I've been reading a lot, a lot about Portugal. I think I may, may move to Portugal, do the show, not tell any of you that I'm coming to you from Portugal. But uh, Joe Biden is probably smart, not to mention his 14th Amendment powers. Today, the White House said it's off the table. It's not going to help the situation. And the Justice Department told the judge in that case, uh, we haven't made up our mind about the 14th Amendment powers. I have to assume that's because the 14th Amendment powers are the big guns you take out when all else has failed. But it's important to remember that there's a reason the 14th Amendment protects the creditworthiness of the federal government and forbids insurrectionists from holding office. Like I said, the 14th Amendment was written right after the Civil War to protect, to protect Washington from secessionists who would undermine our federal government from within, which is what we're up against right now. We have insurrectionists, secessionists in the Republican Party, not all of them, but they are undermining the federal government from within. January 6th isn't over. I want to get past January 6th. But January 6th was about more than just Donald Trump. It was about ransacking our government, stopping the transfer of power. It was about delegitimizing the federal government and returning all the power to the states. It was, January 6th, was about dismantling the administrative state and sending the millions of federal employees home without a paycheck. And that's what all our Republican Supreme Court justices handpicked by the Federalist Society, that's what they want. They want to dismantle the administrative state and get us back, get Washington back to the way it was before Franklin Delano Roosevelt. So January 6th was much bigger than Donald Trump. It was politics by other means. There are many ways to dismantle our government. You can do it violently, like on January 6th, or through budget freezes and debt ceiling impasses. This is the continuation of January 6th by other means. I'm not quite sure how this ends, but one thing is certain. Republicans are making things worse, and they're not going to stop making things worse. They're not going to see the light. The American people have seen it. American people don't like the Republican Party. That's why only one Republican, George Bush in 2004, since 1988, has won the popular vote when he runs for president. 
Republicans are not popular. They, they stay in power because of gerrymandering and because of Idaho getting two Senate seats. But we're not a Republican country. We agree with the Democrats more than we do the Republicans. But the Republicans want power more than the Democrats do. One thing I know, Republicans want it more than the Democrats do. Whatever it is they want, they want it more, and they know what they want. They want to destroy the federal government. They want to loot it, literally loot it, and turn over all the largesse to the richest 1% while catering to white Christian evangelical bigots who want to make marital rape legal. That's what they want. They know they want that. Uh, Republicans are not going to change. They just make things worse. It's been one year since Uvalde. And you would think when it comes to renewing the assault weapons ban, Uvalde is what it takes. So many times on this show, my guests say, what is it going to take? And I said, it already happened a year ago, Uvalde. And we saw bodies of school children piling up in Uvalde, Texas. Not only that, but police officers too frightened to go in there to save those kids. We saw the police officers, officers terrified of the AR-15. And you would think after Uvalde, everybody thought that's what it takes. Republicans are finally going to get it. They're finally going to realize not everybody should be allowed to buy an assault weapon. The American people got it, but the Republicans, they won't back down. They won't back down. Right after Uvalde, the National Rifle Association met, I think it was in Texas. I think it was in Texas, right after Uvalde. And their answer to Uvalde was, come on, more guns. The same way their answer to climate change or climate catastrophe is drill, baby, drill. It doesn't matter how the Texas and Florida, Florida are being destroyed by climate catastrophe. Drill, baby, drill. The, the more the, the, the climate tells us, Unless you get off fossil fuels, we're gonna, I'm going to kill you. That, that's the message Mother Nature is giving Republicans. Get off fossil fuels or I'm going to destroy Louisiana, Texas, Florida, right? All those red states. I'm going to destroy you. No. No. Drill, baby, drill. More guns. Doesn't matter. 50,000 dead Americans from guns. They need more guns. They need more guns. After January 6th, we all saw January 6th and we all thought, okay, now the American people get it and the Republican Party gets it. We see that the Trump administration, we see what the Trump administration really is, a gang of thugs who are just there to loot our treasury, to feather their own rancid nests. They don't have any principles they're just there to destroy the federal government, to loot it. You would think after January 6th, right? It's called accelerationism, that things have to get so bad that people finally wake up. 
That's how Hitler came to power. A lot of centrists said, you know what? Let things get really bad and people will wake up. Doesn't work that way. When it's Newtonian, things in motion stay in motion until they meet an equal force that stops them. That's it. So things continue to get bad and then they get worse and worse and worse. And we saw that on January 6th and then in the early mornings of January 7th, in the early morning of January 7th, with the stench of bear spray still permeating the Capitol, police officers uh, being treated in the hospital. And yet hours after the insurrection on January 6th, 147 Republicans who almost got killed that day by their own foot soldiers, 147 Republicans, including Kevin McCarthy, they returned to the Capitol and voted not to certify the election for Joe Biden. That was an extension of January 6th. That is exactly what Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans wanted. They, they didn't want, that's why January 6th happened, to stop the certification of the election for Joe Biden. And after January 6th, hours after it, 147 Republicans still voted basically for the insurrection. They voted for the insurrection. So people ask me on this show, what is it going to take for the Republican Party to join the rest of America and come to its senses? The Republican Party is not going to come to its senses. That's like asking ExxonMobil to stop selling fossil fuels. They won't. The, the very nature of the Republican Party is to destroy things. That is what the Republican Party has become, a party of destruction. Now, they'll call it freedom or they'll call it fiscal restraint. But the current makeup of the Republican Party is people who can't build anything. They don't know how to get a piece of legislation passed. They don't know how the agencies work. They don't know how to improve the lives of their constituents. It's too complicated. The people serving in the House of Representatives who are Republicans, they can't figure out. You think Marjorie Taylor Greene understands how to get a bill passed and how to work with a federal agency to save lives, to save the lives of constituents? No, it's too complicated. <clears throat> They're lazy. They don't know how to build anything. They know how they claim to build a business. But when you find out about them, all of them never built a business. They inherited a business. Or if they're like Senator, is it Rick Scott? Rick Scott. I think it's Rick Scott of Florida. A Republican Senator Scott of Florida. Uh, his Millions come from defrauding Medicare and Medicaid out of close to $1 billion. That's how they build a business. That's how they create jobs. They, Republicans don't know how to build anything. They only know how to steal and destroy. And the people who vote Republican 
<clears throat> they don't understand how government works because they're not intellectually curious. They're intimidated by Washington, D.C., because it is complicated. But instead of taking the time to figure out how, how to get a bill to become law and actually help people, destroy it. Just destroy it. It's, it's something I don't understand. Destroy it. That's what the Republican Party is. They want to destroy things. They always describe Donald Trump as a wrecking ball. He's a stupid man just the way George W. Bush was and the way Ronald Reagan is, was, and they don't understand anything. All they understand is destroy it. Take a wrecking ball to the federal government. And that satisfies the blood lust of stupid Republican voters. And that's what we're up against. They are going to get worse and worse and worse unless the American people demand that the Democratic Party stand athwart the worsening of the Republican Party. You, they will win because wanting to destroy things, it's a powerful motive. We, it's war. You know, it's very easy to lead people into war because it's easy. Destroying things is easy. Think about your personal life. Think about the successes you've had. Everybody has success in their life. If you've ever built something, a relationship, which is the most successful thing you can build, a, a, if you've built a family, a family of blood relatives or a family of friends, if you've built a social network, a little community, there are people, and you know this, think about them, there are people who are jealous. They're jealous that they can't build what you built. They're jealous that they can't dominate, that they can only participate but not dominate this thing that you and your friends have built. And that, those are the people who Kevin McCarthy has to bring whatever budget proposal he and Biden iron out, these are the people, these destructive people, these congenitally destructive people in the Republican Party, those are the kind of people that McCarthy has to bring the, the, the debt ceiling compromises to, and they're going to reject it because all they know how to do is destroy things. You have the ultra-right-wing Freedom Caucus. These are losers. You look at anybody who is in the Freedom Caucus, they're morons. And so all the only power, they don't have the power of wit or knowledge. They have the power of no, the power of destruction. And they feel, like you look at somebody like Chip Roy, he just feels left out of the process. So he just takes to... The, the, the chamber and screams and rants and raves. Look at me. Look how smart I am. And nobody's paying attention to poor Chip Roy. So the only power he has is to blow it all up, to destroy it. By saying no to McCarthy, by, by making him go through 15 rounds before he gets elected speaker, by watch what happens with the debt ceiling and the Freedom Caucus 
uh, Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert. We saw it when McCarthy was trying to get elected. They will gum up the works and they don't care if the government defaults as long as they have a sense of purpose and power. Because they can't build anything. They can't build anything. So they have to destroy it. You know so many people, so many people who are like that. At your office, there are the people who are part of the team, and then there are the people who rather sit on the sideline and drink coffee and complain and undermine, and that's who I am. I'm not a team player. I'm joking. Okay. Destructive people. There are, there are destructive people. Well, Ron DeSantis, am I going, oh God, I'm going too long. I'm sorry. Uh, Ron DeSantis, by every measure, is a failure as a human being and as a governor of Florida. He is a failure on health care. This is what I'm talking about. Destructive people. They can't build anything. Health care, the most important, you know, keeping your citizens healthy and safe. On health care, Florida is the 46th most underinsured state in America. Now, grandma and grandpa go to Florida to die, right? Well, it's a good place to die because the AARP says Florida ranks dead last in quality health care for senior citizens. You would think that, you know, where grandma and grandpa go, the health care would be a little bit better. Florida, under Ron DeSantis, comes in second for most drug overdoses. It has one of the highest infant mortality rates in America, Mr. Uh, Anti-abortion. Can't do anything about infant mortality rate. It's the least affordable state, the least affordable state to live in. That I don't understand. Why would anybody <laughs> live in Florida? And despite, and this is the most important thing to keep in mind about Ron effing DeSantis, or the Marquis DeSantis, I'm sorry, let's get that up. The Marquis DeSantis, this sadist, this law and order sadist. Despite being the law and order governor, Florida is the seventh most dangerous state to live in. He is a failure. He is a failure. He can't accomplish anything, but he can destroy. He can destroy, and we all know people like that. He can ban more books than any other governor, and he can declare Florida the quote-unquote citadel of normalcy. I love this. Last week, he declared Florida the citadel of normalcy by driving members of the LGBTQ plus community underground with his raft of draconian anti-trans bills that turn public restrooms in Florida into a hunting ground for ultra-right-wing vigilantes. Ron DeSantis, by every measure, is a failure. His blueprint for America is to make life impossible for people of color and the LGBTQ plus community. 
This is why the Human Rights Campaign, America's largest LGBTQ plus rights organization, issued a travel advisory for Florida this week. It is not safe for people of color or members of the LGBTQ plus community to visit, work, or live in Florida thanks to the Marquis DeSantis. The travel advisory from the Human Rights Campaign comes on the heels of the NAACP issuing a travel advisory for Florida last week, along with the League of United Latin American Citizens, the Florida Immigrant Coalition, and Equality Florida. Listeners to this show know that I've been calling for a boycott of Florida or a, a strategic boycott of Florida where you, you target specific industries and towns in Florida. $137.5 million tourists came to Florida last year. That's a record number. And they're spending more than $100 billion in Florida. Tourists last year spent more than $100 billion. And they're responsible for creating 1.6 million jobs. It's been said... And I do understand this, that a travel advisory or a boycott wouldn't punish Ron DeSantis. It would punish the citizens of Florida. I get that. I do. But Ron DeSantis was reelected last year by a 20 percent landslide. He has declared war on the LGBTQ plus community, as well as African-Americans women, and migrants, while at the same time he has made it difficult, next to impossible, to get an abortion. He's made it difficult to get an abortion as it is easy to walk around with a concealed weapon. I'm sorry. Florida isn't getting my tourist dollars. Now, yes, I would give it to Disney World and Key West as a large LGBTQ plus community. But how and where you spend your money makes a difference. It makes a big difference. In fact, for people like Ron DeSantis and the people who voted for Ron DeSantis, it's the only thing that makes a difference. As I mentioned last week, in 2016, North Carolina passed the identical anti-trans bathroom bill that was signed into law this month in Florida. Now, back in 2016, I talked about this last week, after North Carolina passed that anti-trans bathroom bill, there was a boycott of North Carolina. And within one year, the Republican governor was thrown out of office and North Carolina repealed their anti-trans bathroom bill. You can voter suppress all you want, but money, boycotts, work. At some point, you cannot negotiate with a bigot. People who hate me because of how I was born and who are intent on making me less safe or limiting my employment opportunities, 
forcing me to go underground, alienating me from friends and family. People like Ron DeSantis who make me despondent, depressed, and suicidal, well, I'm not giving you my money. And I'm certainly not going to support a state that gave you a 20% landslide in 2020. Elections have consequences. I'll go to Key West. I'll go to Disney World. But elections have consequences, which is why South Carolina Republican Senator Tim Scott, who declared he's running for president on Monday, He's a Republican from South Carolina. He needs to explain why he's not married. South Carolina Republican Senator Tim Scott, as Howie Klein pointed out on our May 22nd show, Tim Scott is 57 and he's unmarried. What's going on? You're a Republican. Family values. Ron DeSantis has declared Florida the citadel of normalcy. In the Republican Party, it is normal to be married and have kids. Republican Senator Tim Scott is an evangelical Christian. They are against same-sex marriage. They are, they are for marriage and kids. Why doesn't Republican Senator Tim Scott, who's running for president, why doesn't he have children? Why isn't he married? At the age of 30, Tim Scott was running for public office and proudly declared he was a virgin. Okay, that works for me if you're a devout evangelical Christian. But... Republicans are the citadels of normalcy. The Republican Party that Tim Scott so proudly belongs to is dictating to teachers and parents and students that you have to be normal. It isn't normal for a 57-year-old Republican male to be single. It isn't normal for a man to announce he's a virgin at the age of 30. It isn't normal for an African-American like Tim Scott to insist this country isn't racist. Now, if my father were alive, he'd say, leave Tim Scott's marital status, your dog whisper, your dog whistle about his sexuality, leave it, leave, don't bring it up. Sorry, Dad. He's a Republican. And the party that the unmarried Tim Scott is so proud to be a leader in, he refuses to leave our sexuality out of it. He wants the Republican nomination for president. And because his party can't create, only destroy. His party, once again, is making human sexuality an issue. So explain yourself, Tim Scott. 
why are why are you not married? Why do you not have kids? You're 57 years old. You you proudly proclaimed your virginity at the age of 30. That's not normal. Are you still a virgin? It is very much germane to the conversation. Your sexuality as a Republican is very much in play. Is there a woman in your life? Is there going to be a first lady, Tim Scott? If not, why not? Right now, men and women are being marginalized because of the Republican Party and committing suicide because of the Republican Party's decision to make it open season on the LGBTQ community. Given what's happening to blacks and members of the LGBTQ plus community in red states, an unmarried African-American who is a proud Republican has a lot of explaining to do. I don't care what my father would tell me. I'm not messing around. Explain yourself, Tim Scott. Are you a virgin? Is there a woman in your life? Why aren't you married? On Wednesday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is creating suicide in Florida, on Wednesday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis will declare he is a candidate for president in a discussion with Elon Musk on Twitter spaces. The 44-year-old fascist reportedly has more than $100 million in his war chest. The latest polling averages show DeSantis in second place, trailing Donald Trump by, and I had to double-check this. Ron DeSantis is trailing Donald Trump by 33 points. In third place is Mike Pence with 5% of Republicans saying they would vote for him. And Nikki Haley comes in fourth with uh, 4%. See, even the Republicans don't like Republicans. That's why they're voting for Donald Trump, who is just a fetish, a disease, a sickness. Uh Trump's going to get the nomination. Trump's going to get the nomination. The question I have is, who is more dangerous, Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump? Leave a comment. I don't know. I, I suspect, I suspect, and I'm wrong about everything, that Donald Trump is less dangerous than Ron DeSantis, because as bad as January 6th was, and it was bad, the, the system stood up to Donald Trump. It was all the goofballs. It was Rudy Giuliani. It was nobody in the Justice Department went along with him. Yes, members of Congress went along with him. But Donald Trump is a failure at, you know, manipulating the levers of power. Ron DeSantis is a failure, but he knows how to move things through the bureaucracy. Uh, they're both horrible.
I, I think Ron DeSantis uh, is more dangerous because I think he really means what he's saying. I think Donald Trump is it's just a grift. But I, I think in the end, Ron DeSantis uh, believes this crap. I have no idea. I really, really don't. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. Now, is that nice? Is that nice? Is that nice? We're rolling, by the way. I I heard you and Dave talking about how Hitler was a joke. Yeah. Still funny. Still funny. (laughs) Who's that? That's Charlie. She hears something outside. Charlie is a she. Is a she. Is that her preferred pronoun? She's a dog. Um, yes. All right. It so so very- I don't mind the sound of the dog barking. Who's on your T-shirt there? It looks. That's let me a- guess. Let me guess. Let me. It's a. It looks like a a, a Met. Is it a Met? No. No. Is it was a Detroit Tiger? Can you see his? Uh- a Hank Greenberg. Denny no. McLean. It's Mark the Bird Fidrich. The guy I wrote a thing about that I'm trying to get produced. Oh, right. Anyway. Yeah. Why, why are you writing a movie about him? Why? Yeah. He's a great character. It's fascinating stuff. Okay. What? What about What's him? fascinating about him? He was, uh, he was an unbelievable phenom. <laughs> who, he rose out of nowhere. Like, he was absolutely out of nothing. He would have been a complete hall of famer and he went <laughs> what bring the dog in i know i what, what, what's right what, what, what you can't bring your dog in what are you afraid <laughs> that i'm going to expose your dog to something that she shouldn't see let's see charlie let's see charlie come on charlie here comes charlie here comes oh that's an ugly dog oh no forget it Forget it's up. Is it upside down? That is the ugliest dog I have oh, ever look. seen. Charlie, you are an ugly. Do- That's beautiful. How old is Charlie? She's five. She's beautiful. She's a little itchy. I think she has allergies. The allergies are very bad up here. So let's talk about Rudy. Let's talk about I, I can't help it. I'm being distracted by Charlie. She's a cutie. I'll see if I can, maybe I can bribe her with a treat. Okay. So, first of all, I feel like you owe it to your audience to pan down so we know what's going on underneath that desk. I just think it's... What, what are you implying? What, what Did something happen with Rudy that I don't know about? I am so jealous of Rudy. What a stud <laughs> Giuliani turned out to be. This guy, what a party at his office. I mean, the guy wakes up, he's, he's, he's eating Tic Tacs. I mean, uh, Viagra, like they're, like they're smoked almonds. You know, <laughs> <laughs> them in his mouth, washing them down with a, a Bloody Mary the size of a big <laughs> Let's go. Let's, let's, let's get this party started. Who knew? How could how could you and how can you resist? That's the thing. He's a sexy like, man. Yeah. I well, mean, actually, we, let's be let's be honest. He's before we 
make fun of this. He is being sued for rape, I guess. I mean, isn't I guess in, there's a distinction now between sexual assault and rape. They rule that Donald Trump didn't rape E. Jean Carroll, but he sexually assaulted her. I, I'd like to know what the difference is. Penetration is the difference. If you want to get right down to it, penetration is the difference. Okay. They didn't feel E. Jean proved that aspect of it. But, uh, you know, I, uh, I do, look, I have no doubt that Rudy did every single oh, thing. Yeah. I, are you, am I the only one who's nervous about her as a plaintiff? Like she's going to be, how nuts do you have to be to go to work for Rudy Giuliani and stay at work with him for however yeah. long? Yeah. Let me tell you, that's an example of a thought that sh that you not can't, be, you're not allowed to articulate that thought. I'm allowed to because I'm not relevant to anything. Well, but it did occur. It, I just worry about it. I just worry that they'll, because in a court of law, there's going to be another stuff, except Luke Rudy's losing all his attorneys. They're all like, right. wait a minute, you're not going to pay anything? Get out of here. They're all walking away from him. So he's not going to have anybody. But if you had any kind of an attorney, they're going to rake her over the coals. And, you know, you got to be able to stand up to that scrutiny. I worry that under that scrutiny, she might not look great. Yeah, I mean, there was something again. I, I we're this is I, I've been advised on these issues in, in to not. Uh, sure, because you have a show and you and you're concerned about what people. What, I, what do I care what anybody thinks? Well, no, it just in terms of the morality of. The, uh, he's, he, I, like I said, I completely believe he did. But the, 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 the saying, why did the woman stay at the job? Why do women stay in abusive relationships? Have you been reading the Chris D'Elia stories in Rolling Stone? It's totally. Did you read about Chris D'Elia? I'm not blaming her. No, I just because because I so want Rudy to be convicted. You're worried that she's going to be like a lunatic. A problematic, problematic plaintiff. Like she's not going to. I, I worry. I, I look, I'm rooting for her. I'll put on her shirt and, I, and I'll wear right. I'll banners that have her name on it. And I support her. I'm concerned right. that that she might not be the best, strongest person to take. But the good news is <laughs> there's a million other things. Right. You know, and and if they can and if they can prove that uh, they were selling, uh, even offering to sell pardons, like that kind of right. takes. You don't have to worry too much. And it sounds like she has receipts, like she has phone records and all that. The more proof of that way she has, the better. But he's in his eighties. At some point, he's just got to check in. To, to a home. He's just, uh, you know, he, he here's the thing, though. The the oral sex while talking to Donald Trump. Yeah. What is that? I can't wrap my head around any of it. But the idea that it is sexually arousing to for him to be filleted while talking to Donald Trump, who, you know, makes most of his phone calls while sitting on the toilet. It's a it's power. It's a power. Thing. But power it's over whom? Well, uh, it makes him more powerful, like 
I'm as good as you. Like you're the big king who gets everything he wants. Look what I'm doing. You know, even not look what I'm doing is in his head. He's thinking like, I'm king of the world. I'm like, while I'm talking to the, the man, I'm the man, you know? He's, right. So when Ron DeSantis signs an anti-LGBTQ law in Florida this week and says, we are the citadel of normalcy. Uh-huh. I think, how dare you say what is normal and what is not? Sure. But when I hear about Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I go, that's not normal. This is not. Right. Normal. Of course. All these things, you know, there is this kind of beef of reasonableness to some of the stuff on the right. You know what I mean? It, it's understandable that, you know, the, the left is not doing itself any favors. You don't do yourself any favors when you say, oh, you can't say master bedroom anymore because you're being so, like that is so pisses off people on the right. Like and because it, it pisses me off. Oh, I can't say master bedroom anymore because that harkens. But it's it becomes ridiculous. What about masturbation? Can you say that? In the master bedroom. <laughs> um, you know, like there are things. You know, I don't, well, I can't tell that story, but, um, hey, a, a, a friend of mine, his, uh, his daughter is playing on an ultimate Frisbee team in college, and she's playing on an all-girls team, and there are a couple of 6'2", 220 trans girls playing on, uh, you know, another team, and they're girls but it was it was sloppy conditions and she went for a frisbee and she fell and this overly aggressive girl fell on her broke her collarbone now he's completely supportive but it should they be playing in the same it's 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 it, it's worthy of a conversation that's the thing we need to you know talk about it be open about it and not like their side just wants to completely shut it down but like when you say you can't say normal anymore, well, I understand that there is. But when you look at Rudy, it's like, yeah, that isn't normal. So, you know, we have to be able to have these conversations. I mean, I know I probably sound like uh, somebody from another time, but, um, you know, we, we don't do ourselves any favors uh, on the left by being, you know, so rigid about so much stuff. And be open to saying, yes, I understand. It's a tough. Well, you can I discuss where you live? Sure. You are in woke grounds. You're ground central in wokedom, aren't you? Yes. Here, I'm going to tell you a story. Tell everybody Uh, where you live. I live in Western Massachusetts, the Pioneer Valley. And what's what's at what's what school is there? uh, Well, it's the the five sisters, isn't it? They call it. but the University of, uh, well, there's Smith College. There you go. That's all you need to know. It's from Northampton, where they invented lesbians. Um, so it's, uh, look. And, and, I, and is it fair to say that you are surrounded by? Well, but it's also a very rural. There's plenty of Trump, you know, people. Not plenty, but, you know. But, but is it fair to say that you yourself are walking on eggshells all the time? No, I mean, because I'm I'm open and honest and I'm nice to everybody and everybody loves me. And has it made you a better person by when people correct you and say 
you know, maybe you shouldn't say that that's offensive to certain groups. I've never, I've, I've never said anything offensive, so I wouldn't know. Have you? you, you, you. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you a quick story. Go ahead. About a, an unnamed therapist who was treating, and now you put trans together with millennial, and, and you've got a lot going on. And this trans person uh, was complaining to their therapist because they worked at a nonprofit, a, a charitable nonprofit. And one of the other people working there was uh, an elderly lesbian lady who was trying their best, but this person had changed pronouns a couple of times, changed names a couple of times, and she was complaining, this trans person, about how this woman had misgendered her and had harmed her, and she went to human resources and got her fired. That's not her enemy. And what harm really happened? The harm is to this poor 60-something-year-old woman who's got to now go out and find a job. She's out of a job. I don't believe that. No, you don't believe the story? Yeah. It's absolutely true. I, I don't believe. I don't want to tell you how I know that because that would be. Yeah, I, I, I think we're hearing one side of the story. I just find it hard to believe that a, yeah. in, a, in a litigious society such as ours, that a, a company could fire somebody for having difficulty with preferred pronouns. Unless the person was a real son of a bitch about it. You're, you're, you're allowed to believe whatever you want. But, uh, and, and the, the person may have had, the, the older woman may have had difficulties, you know, getting her head all the way around it, saying the right thing every time. But this other person felt harmed, went to human resources, filed multiple complaints and got her fired. Multiple you, complaints. Uh, that's my understanding. So, so not to be difficult, because you are a guest on the show. OK. However. Yeah. If I'm I'm the boss. Yeah. And you're working for me. Yeah. And I say here we obey people's preferred pronouns. Right. And this is now the second time, the third time. I've asked you to be respectful of people's pronouns and you have trouble doing this. It belies incompetence. That, it's, it suggests could, incompetence. That, that could be the case. But keep in mind, I know the therapist very well. And this therapist has had a long running problem trying to help this trans person uh, even before that is. Because you have to be supportive of your client. You know what I mean? You have to try to support them. But a lot of the things they were saying and doing, they were like, ah, they kept trying to steer them away from. And, and, and. So this, let me ask you a question about checking our privilege. Aha. Uh -huh. I'm, and I'm not trying to be difficult here. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Okay. Uh, there is. In terms of checking our privilege, which is something I've learned to do, I don't feel privileged, but when I compare myself to a transgender woman sure. or man, mm -hmm. I, uh, at the level of homelessness and suicide and physical attacks, uh, they're 
3,000 times more likely to end up homeless, drug addicted, can't find work than I am. So I have to check my privilege. We all have to check our privilege. Sure. And so what might seem paranoid uh, or, you know, when Ronald, Ronald Reagan, Donald Trump says you're a nasty woman, you know, that kind of stuff. He's so Roman Polanski's the, the, the woman he raped, the girl, little girl he raped was photographed with him and there and people are saying, see, he, he didn't hurt her. And she's forgiving him. Well, there's a woman who forgave Mengele, the, fam the famous. But that doesn't mean what he what Mengele did wasn't a crime. And part of go ahead, I can tell you, you're, you're chomping at the bit. You know, I mean, Yes, you can take the other side and you can, you know, hypothesize about how it could have been a situation where uh, th this happened and that happened. But you don't know. You're just hypothesizing. And absolutely, yes, it could have been that that person was. I'm telling you that, you know, there can there's all sorts of people in the world. And, you know, there's and some of that's the millennial thing. That people are that whole safe spaces thing where people don't want to be, you know, challenged at all. And they feel like everything should be, you know, so I'm just saying it's it's tough and it's you know, we have to not be the other side, I think, is very rigid about, you know, that this is wrong. And don't and we we have to try to balance that. I, I don't know. I disagree. Uh, OK. Uh, but uh, let's, move on. let's move on. How are things? It, let's it, talk about let's talk about I want to talk about uh, the. Uh, the debt crisis. The, I uh, thought I paid that bill. Well, that's it. Did you what uh, the Republicans want? You know, normally I'm on their side. <laughs> <laughs> now they're talking about they want work requirements. For, for like Medicaid and disability. I didn't like when there were work requirements at my job. <laughs> so. Oh, that's so great. You know, did you, when did you come up with that? Uh, that's so great. It's true. That, but that was. I, I could have used that today. <laughs> that's such a great joke. Well, and and so here's my other great joke. Okay, um, that they're saying that the the people on the left are saying that they want uh, Biden to use the Fourteenth Amendment, and I'm saying he should use the Second Amendment. <laughs> he should come in there, kick the door down with a three fifty seven Magnum, and go. I know what you're thinking, punk. You have eighteen votes. We're 270. <laughs> all the confusion, I kind of lost count myself. <laughs> I thought it was all the senility. Economic crisis that could throw the whole world into turmoil. You got to ask yourself one question. <laughs> do I feel lucky today? <laughs> do you, punk? And the problem is that like Marjorie Taylor Greene and then people going, shoot him! Shoot him! <laughs> <laughs> they just can't help themselves. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with uh, Scarface. Oh, well, uh, th but that's they want to shoot him in Scarface. 
When he's going, do you want to fuck with me? You want to mess with me? You want to mess with me? You want to fuck with me? That's a that's a different. Now he also could have. The other one we used to do was uh, the when he was on his knees, he's going, please. He goes, I'm not going to shoot you, Manny. Shoot this piece of shit. <laughs> Um, just cause, and I've told this to anybody who can do Bill Cosby. Yes. Uh, I can't do Bill Cosby. One of my sons can do Bill Cosby. Sure. And I maintain that if I could do Bill Cosby, I would just, whenever I had customer service issues, I would talk like Bill Cosby you know, you get what I've been put on hold for 40 minutes about a $10 fee that a certain company put on my credit card. And I have to wait an hour to talk to somebody from Visa. If I could, I would sound like this. Now, there's something about my I saw it in the Q&A. Somebody wanted me to... Oh, the new MLB rules. Is the game faster? Absolutely. And I, what little I watch, I thought, this is fun. This pitcher's going to blow out his arm and need Tommy John. This is fun to watch. It's like boxing. They're... Wait, you you don't hurt your arm by pitching quickly. You hurt your arm by pitching too long and too much and not having doing the right. My arm is. I'm hoping to get a, a cortisone shot. We got we got to wrap it up. Uh, did I have anything? Did you read um, any of the? There was a story about the Who Jackie. What's that a was, Who Jackie? You know the Who Jackie story. Who? What? Are you kidding me? I don't know. What is? What is it? It, it, it is a story that every writer's room knows. It's about the, because it, it was actually Roseanne. It is supposedly it was at Roseanne. Oh, the writer who comes yeah. in and says, who, who, who Jackie? Yeah. And it, it, the story's been That was who, me. Yes, it was you. It, it almost was. I didn't watch the show until I got hired. What's the Who Jackie? So, how does the Who Jackie story go? It's basically that, the, you know, because she would hire writers yeah. you know, at the drop of a hat. And this guy was this and he was black. And the way Norm used to tell the story, there was a, a lot of uh, <laughs> accent, you know, that, that he would put on when he would tell it. But the idea was um, she hired this stand up comic, didn't have any experience. He comes in, he sits in the room. And now there's differing amounts of time that supposedly go by. In the way Norm told it, it was like two years, but it was, the way supposedly it went, it was like six weeks or something, or maybe two weeks, where he sits in the room, he doesn't say anything. And he says, who Jackie? <laughs> and and then they, they tell him, and he goes, okay. And then he doesn't say anything for like another week. And then he says, has this idea about that Roseanne died. And her ghost float around. It's a, he has this crazy thing, but who Jackie? It's been um, uh, in now. There's been references to it in other sitcoms. It's like an inside joke. I didn't know that. You didn't know that? Oh no. it's, yeah. There's one uh, in Thirty Rock 
because you know Jack Donaghy, the season four or five opens with her Liz picking up the phone and going, "Who, who, Jackie?" Um, right. I was. I, you, know, I, you know the. You know, and there's a bunch of inside jokes in, um, in what you call it, uh, Thirty Rock. Thirty Rock. Do you, you know the one where um, Alex Alec Bowen's on the phone and he just and he just goes, "Plow chops." I don't get the what's plow chops. Ah, uh, you don't know that story? No. Oh my God. All right. So uh, this will be the last. Arnold Schwarzenegger um, shows up on a set for some movie or something, and some PA uh, greets him and says, um, oh, Mr. Schwarzenegger, um, okay, so this is your trailer right here, and then the trailer for hair and makeup is right over there, and then across is the one for wardrobe, uh, okay? And he goes, okay, where's the uh, trailer for the plow chops? And he says, um, uh, I don't know. I'm sorry. What is uh, plow chops? He goes, you know, the young girls, they come and they give you the plow chops. What's a plow chop? Rudy used to get a plow chop. Oh, my God. When he was talking on the phone, he would get the plow chop. <laughs> Jesus, I never heard that. I'm in the wrong writing rooms. I know. How about how about the how about the old writer who would come in? And, you know, he was a consulting producer. So, you know, they'd come in just like once a week for punch up. And he was like just this old guy. And he had the um, index cards. Mm -hmm. And so whenever there was a thing, he'd like open up his thing and start like looking for a joke. And he he would pull up and he goes, can the floor be wet? (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that great? Can the floor be wet? Oh, my God. John Rock. Yeah, fun with friction. Some of those stories will be in the book, which I'm writing a a restructure now. I got an editing notes. But uh, the book's going to be about my time in writer's rooms. Fantastic. You were in the right ones. John Ross, follow him on Twitter at fun with friction. More often. More often. All right. Bye-bye. See you.